Welcome to the Vinny Rock Podcast. I took the blow. The Vinny Rock Podcast. The Vinny Rock Podcast would like to thank the following sponsors. Core Medical Group. Core Medical Group distinguishes itself as a prominent entity in the healthcare sector, specializing in offering innovative hormone replacement therapy solutions, which stand as a testament to their commitment to advancing healthcare. Core Medical Group values building enduring relationships and ensuring that each interaction is tailored to meet the specific needs of the professionals and institutions they serve. Learn more now at coremedicalgrp.com. GMR Gold. The bullion box by GMR Gold stands as the pioneering offering in the precious metals industry, being the first ever monthly subscription service for precious metals. It manifests as a seamless and innovative solution for those keen on diversifying their investment portfolios with precious metals, making the acquisition of gold, silver, platinum, and palladium uncomplicated and straightforward. To learn more and subscribe to Bullion Box, go to gmrgold.com. Everest.com. Everest stands as the paramount independent outdoor marketplace founded by individuals with a relentless passion for the great outdoors. They are driven by a singular mission, to provision goods for every facet of the untamed and boundless wild, be it hunting, fishing, hiking, camping, survival, and more. So step up, immerse yourself in the diverse tapestry of outdoor life, and let Everest be your guide to transcending the ordinary and embracing the extraordinary in the world outside at Everest.com. Modern Gun School. Modern Gun School provides a tailored learning experience allowing you to study on your terms whenever and wherever it's most convenient for you. Their flexible open enrollment policy means you can kickstart your education for a career as a modern gunsmith immediately. Modern Gun School proudly accepts the GI benefit and vocational rehab, emphasizing their commitment to supporting veterans and individuals undergoing vocational rehabilitation. Embark on a journey of discovery and skill enhancement with their accredited program and carve your niche in gunsmithing with Modern Gun School today. To learn more and enroll, go to mgs.edu. Stay Classy Meats. Stay Classy Meats is deeply rooted in a reverence for time-honored traditions and enduring values. Working hand-in-hand with farmers and ranchers who share a mutual respect for these principles. Stay Classy Meats is not just a brand. It's a movement towards real food, a commitment to quality, and a journey to share a piece of Montana's unparalleled meat quality with the world. To place your order, visit stayclassymeats.com. Hey, welcome to the Vinny Rock Podcast. Got my boy Flo here. Um, We're just going to do what we do. Yeah, we moved here, and obviously I'm a Dodger fan. Yeah. But... uh. For our anniversary, I said, babe, let's go, let's go to a game. We like going to baseball games. And uh, we ended up heading to Texas Ranger game and fell in love. Air conditioning, indoor. Yeah, It's yeah. almost like so spoiled. How the fuck do you go anywhere you else? Can, the food, too. All the oh, everything. pretty cool. Everything. And so we were so comfortable that we were like, man, it's a cool team. So I bought a jersey because I'm, I'm going to keep supporting. We live here now. This is home. Right? It's how you commit. You buy yeah. a jersey. You, know, you better like, stay here. I'm, I'm not going to work. Yeah, yeah, we're going to build eventually, but... 
Yeah, we're in the area. There's a couple places probably we like the Prosper in. I was about to say, you're building a Prosper. I could see yeah. you building a Prosper. Prosper. It's, it's, it's the next Frisco. Yeah, and then it's the other place is Salina. 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 Yeah. So Dak Prescott's a huge guy. Is he, he out there? In, yeah, he li- I think he has a spot in Salina. We're, we like the land space of that. You're probably going to get more for your money in Salina than you will in Prosper right now. Yeah, I could use just that. Just because it's a little bit you know, more yeah. north, but whatever it is. and But it's these, everything is just... They're running out of, you know, real estate here in Frisco. Yeah, and we, so we donate, we had three horses. They weren't like, they're not like prize-winning horses by any means. We actually rescued them. We had them for about three years, and then we just recently donated them to another veteran nonprofit who will be using those for equestrian therapy for veterans. But we only did that because it didn't make sense financially to keep it here. We're still trying to figure out what's going on. The riding strike, the acting strike, no money's coming in. And so just, just for the sake of being smart, like, let's just donate them. By chance, they're going to be coming back out here sometime. Oh, like, yeah. The whole organization is moving down to Dallas. So we're like, oh, cool. Maybe we'll get our horses back or something, or at least we'll get to work with them again. But looking at the land we want and what we want to kind of do for the family is like space. And so Salina might be oh, yeah. the choice. I think everyone everyone interviews veterans a lot, and I think a lot of guys have very similar stories. But um, and not, like, not that it's bad. I think... We have a lot of friends in the industry that do a lot of podcasting, and there's a lot of veteran awesome stories out there to be told already and to change kind of like – to change on that. I didn't want to do the same. I don't want to like – Yeah. Mike has a guy. I have a guy. All of us have the same guy. And so if I do have some of my friends on here, um, I plan to kind of move the conversation slightly different than than often we, we get. Like, yeah. Tell us about this and that. But I, I don't think it would be fair if we don't – at least start with one introducing who you are. And then I would love to talk about the mission where you received your Medal of Honor. And and I want to explain to you, I'm also very cautious about, I'm sure it's frustrating or maybe it's not, I don't know how you view it, but telling your story every single time you get interviewed, I'm sure that gets exhausting and it gets to, to a point. I don't know how you feel about that. I, th- I feel like to me, it, it is not, it's not exhausting because I get to sit in names of the guys who right. come home. So that's no matter what, that's a positive outcome right. every time. And you get to share their names with new people, you know, right? And right, different audience. It is, it is, I wouldn't say frustrating. It is interesting to always just retell that story. Yeah. And so I like it when people who bring me on or, or, or set up a conversation that, and you know, obviously, my whole story, they have a little background on it so yeah. that I don't have to just go detail by detail. Yeah. Because it's yeah. just, didn't, I feel like we just wasted right. like 15, 20 minutes of a conversation that people can go read instead of going to maybe the psychology behind right. a decision, right? <laughs> right maybe right. more of like an uh, intimate, you know, story about the people, right? Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, my story is simple. I wrote a book called Eight Seconds of Courage, literally, because the whole action lasted my a couple lasted a couple minutes. Um, but we're in Eastern Afghanistan in 2012. I was running a specialized security detail for Colonel Mingus, who's not going to be the vice chief for the army. Oh, no way. Yeah, I'm crazy. And <clears throat> it was simple patrol, right? Yeah. Go to a governor provincials meeting. It happens every Wednesday. I mean, it's literally next to uh, a, a, a national police base. Right. It's in a city that's been green as it gets in Afghanistan, meaning like really not much happens in terms of enemy contact there. Aren't we doing a lot of training with law enforcement at the time, helping kind of establish law enforcement? And, and, and yeah, I mean the Afghan well, dude. Reality though is you, you you only get what you get from the type of people that we train. And right. So 
we had SFAT teams, mm -hmm. uh, special advisor teams there. Yeah. Uh, literally from 101st, they sent a, a, you know, a couple hundred special advisors to work with the Afghan National Police, yeah. Afghan National Army to train them. And so, but I have a video going, my, so I have a YouTube page that I don't do anything YouTube. This is, <laughs> I put, I put five videos from 20, 10 years ago yeah. and they're all from the same time in Afghanistan. And one of them is us trying to train the Afghan <laughs> national army, how to position themselves, you know, yeah. um, with the rifle and you now will get a complete understanding. You know, this yeah. in fact of why it's an impossibility to train those folks and why they probably folded as fast yeah. as they did. Yeah. Like it's just, you can pump millions of dollars, hundreds of hours of training. It's just, unless you're really truly committed and then this is life or death for you. I think these guys mostly saw us as a way of life and make money. Like, wow. yeah, it's just, and I think they always knew that no matter what, once we left, things would go back to a very specific way. But part of me feels like they never thought we would leave. Interesting. And, and that's why they just kind of coasted. Yeah. And there's no other way to put it. No country. Uh, hell, we're going like a complete different direction. No country. <laughs> should be able to fold to the Taliban, right? No yeah. army should be able to fold to the Taliban as fast as they did with that much training. Yeah. That's just my personal opinion. No, no, that's, a, that's, a, that's, <laughs> that's another, that's a, another conversation. Absolutely. No, but, but for yeah. sure, I would, I want to touch yeah. on that later. So going back, going back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was, I, I, we were going to this provincial governor's meeting happened every Wednesday. It was a really secure area. And there was always a threat in Afghanistan, suicide yeah. bombers, potential, whatever. Uh, especially, you know, in the eastern part of Kunar. And on that day, the night before, actually, I called the the leader, um, the officer in charge of this combat outpost, Fayez, mm -hmm. right? And so it's right next to the governor's compound, small. And he was one of those special advisors guy, not an infantryman, yeah, right? Just different MOS, but selected to lead this group of <laughs> folks who were training our you know local local Afghans. And I called him. I said, hey, I'm coming in tomorrow with my brigade commander, your brigade commander, uh, three more battalion commanders, an Afghan general, two GS-15 State Department guys, one USAID, two command sergeant major, one brigade, one battalion level, plus my um, my six security. Mm. Our plan is to SP is 0910, land as 0925, and then walk to the governor's compound. So I need an escort. 15 soldiers minimum. Yeah. Standard protocol always happened that way. He's a major, right? So he's not like he's high up. And he's like, nah, I'm going to walk the route 15 minutes prior. And so we'll clear it for you. I, I mean, I'm, I i didn't know what to do. I, didn't, I, I just didn't even think this was a, a, a topic conversation at all. I didn't even think this was an option, yeah. right? Him saying that. No doesn't, there's no no. Right? I'm bringing your boss. And your boss's boss. So I'm, you know, to to you, yeah. You serve in the military. That is the only time, especially in theater, when like you go find the best fucking uniform you have and maybe shave for the first time in like you know weeks. Right. So because the brigade commander's showing up, so you want to look like apart. Yeah. For the five seconds he walks by you and says, "Thank you for your service. Well done." And then he walks away, and you're like, "All right, let's go back to our normal day life." But no, he he said no. So I put him on mute. I had the adjutant next to me for the brigade commander. <laughs> and I said to him, watch, I'm going to tell this guy, I'm going to repeat my request. He's going to tell me to fuck off. So I, 
unmuted him, repeated my request. And he literally said, look, Lieutenant. And I was pretty pissed off because the captain at the time. He said, look, Lieutenant, don't take your boss's rank. I'm fucking clearing the route. I don't have anybody else to give you. And he hung up. So I thought to myself, no human being as a major who's deployed and has any type of responsibility can be that dumb. Yeah. He's probably having a bad day. He's going to think about this, you know, after he hangs up and he's going to realize, oh, I might want to be there when my boss and my boss's boss show up yeah. to walk with them. Maybe I can give them a lay of the land. What's been happening? What should we, you know, expect from the conversation with the governor, right? right? That is your area of operation. You might want to receive the boss instead of walking away. Well, when we landed, he was gone. He took everyone with him. Oh, shit. I, 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 you know, when you, you, you get in a spot... In your life, and then you be military, you could be civilian, you'd be first responder, it could be a doctor. It's like showing up to an operating room as a doctor, right? Yeah. And you're supposed to do a heart transplant and and someone takes your tools away. <laughs> and you're kind of like, and this person's dying. Yeah. And you have to you have X amount of time to save this person, and there's none of your tools to operate on this person. The tools that were supposed to be there because the night shift was supposed to put them together, get them sanitized, whatever. Yeah. None of them are there. So you start. So what you, you have a couple options, right? In the military, we adapt to Figuring every out. situation. Yeah. So the first thing in my head was, what the fuck? I'm freaking out in my head. <laughs> Externally, I'm looking. I'm, I'm kind of like, okay. My platoon sergeant comes up to me and he says, what's going on? And I looked at him. I said, the guy really took off with all the soldiers. He knew what was. I talked to him about that. He's like, I can't believe this. He's like, what do you want to do? So I said, you see those Afghan National Army guys up there? There's 15 of them smoking cigarettes by the gate. Take the Terp, our translator, go up to them and bring them. Tell them to get their weapons. They're coming with us, but put them up front because I don't trust them. Yeah. And then have them spread out. My thinking process at that point was I got to find any type of human bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And then put them on that patrol because I just, I just want to appear bigger. Right. So then I, while he did this, I sprinted inside the base. It's a small base. Thank goodness. And then you go to the three places, there's technically four, where you're going to find soldiers. Right. One, the Hoochies. Where, where, are they sleeping? Right. I found one, Sarn O'Brien. Still pissed off at me to this day because he <laughs> lost half a butt cheek. Uh, I went to Chow Hall, right? Yeah. Cafeteria. Uh, no one was there. And then, of course, your place of, of, of business, the gym, right? Yeah. And no one was there. I missed one place, the shitters, right? <laughs> the I just shit, you, know, you, you know, there's one of them hanging out yeah. over there, fucking taking it, put it, have a dip in and sticking this long, sweet shit in there. But, um, and then I found like some civilian dude, KKR or KBR with those guys. Yeah, KBR. Remember, KBR. And I said, you're American? He's like, yeah. He's like, you got a weapon? He's like, I'll find one. I was like, you're coming with me. I don't know. To this day, I've never been in trouble with this. And I keep telling this story. Maybe someone's going to come back and yell at me one day. But like, I You know who he is? No, no clue. He's fine, but he didn't get Yeah, but me. after that day, you've never stayed in contact with him at all? No, I think i never reached out? I never like really like for the first few years. No, he never reached out. And for, for a couple of years, I just avoided that conversation. Because, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know if it was like I, we're allowed to bring. You know, he, anyway, he, he came. <laughs> he, he lived. Um and then we went on patrol. Uh, the boss kind of looked at me like, what the fuck's going on? But he trusts me, right? Yeah. And so as we walked outside the base, the way it operated was every time the boss left the base and we're you know, now in enemy country, I would put him inside of a diamond. So I'd have a guy you know, at the spear, right. left, right, yeah, yeah. and so rear. So kind of like a 360 security Just on the individual. Straight up. Right. Uh, 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 we call it a secret service style. Yeah. Right. 
And the reason you do this is you, you put them in there, him, the principal, and then you have your external security force. Mm -hmm. So you get hit, something happens, they fight the threat, you collapse on the principal, right. and then you take him or her away to safety, Correct. away from the threat. Good. So now I don't have that external force. So <laughs> I had the Afghan National Afghan National Army, I put them up front, because I didn't know them. Yeah. And if, if you're going to do a green on blue and shoot me, I, I'm going to see you turn around. Right. I'm going to pop you first. So I felt comfortable with that. And I started putting the brigade commanders in there, the battalion commanders in there. And there's four of us. And there's like, now we're outnumbered by principal. So I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. And I saw Major Griffin. Hey, you want to get in there? He's like, fuck no. <laughs> Look at this bunch of you officers over there. Like, you you got more, you know, more to bite than you can handle, brother. And so he's like, I'm going to do our rear security. And I, was, and I immediately, I was so thankful. Yeah. He's like, I got 22 years as an infantryman. I, I got our rear. Yeah. All right. I felt really comfortable, you know, having him, I, you know, covering my rear. I was like, All right, I feel really good. Now I can really focus on the front. And then we walked. And 700 meters into the movement, right as we're crossing the bridge, I mean, TTPs, right, for the right. enemy. Uh, they came out of some motorcycles uh, from the front. So there was a curve and uh, to really create a diversion. Yeah. And as they created this diversion, guy walked out of it. The only, like, the last house that was right before the bridge on the left with a vest. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know he had a vest ori originally or initially. Uh, my platoon started to turn around to look at me, you know, based on the motorcycles. And as he was look, trying to look at me, he started staring to my left, which forced me to look to my left. Yeah. And that's when I saw that guy. And right there, you just, you know, just shit just develops, right? Rapidly. Yeah. And so I, I immediately... Stop, stop myself from looking forward and focused on him. And then he made a move and started walking towards us really fast. And that's when I ran towards him and I yelled at him. Uh, he never looked at me. It was the creepiest thing. If I was an artist, I could paint him. I could paint his really? face, but I just can't. I'm not an artist. But right? still to this day, you oh, yeah, it's I, 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 burn in your head. 100%. You, this is, it's like watching the devil, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, 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 it's sadder than that because he couldn't have been more than 20 years old. Mm. Maybe could have been 16. Could have been 22, right? Right. Yeah, I know that. Age, yeah, right? out there it's a little it's, interesting age look. And he he was he was he had this fierce look, but you could see the fear in him. Because mm -hmm. he so what he did is he he had a vest and he dead man triggered it, so he was committed. Yeah. So and he never looked at me, and I'm 95 percent sure not a doctor, but he was drugged. Yeah. Right. You know those guys take those right. drugs because they're scared. Yeah, it's courage. And he. uh I never felt fear from him. Like, like he didn't make me scared. I just wanted to fucking kill him. Like, yeah. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah. But I couldn't see a weapon on him. Yeah. And so he had those man jams, long man jams that were, and then he had, uh, one of my platoon songs said he had a fake hand. I, I didn't see that specifically, but I, I just know his hands were covered. So I ran towards him. I hit him. When I hit him, I realized he was wearing, you know. How'd you hit him? With the punch? So I, so I took my, I was my, I had my rifle. I yeah. had my, with the butt of oh, my rifle. Yeah, dude, fucking straight fucking. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. that course? The, the bayonet course, dog. Bro, I, I sh and, and luckily for me, I didn't hit him in the face with it. Yeah. I hit him in the chest. Uh, he's about my height. Yeah. And because if I would have hit him in the, in the face, I think I would, I would be dead, to be honest yeah, with you. You think he would have knocked him out? He would have let go of the trigger. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so it can't, and so I hit him and it kind of flung him back a little bit. Um, and at that point when I hit him and I, I knew he was wearing you, yeah, a, you felt a, a plate or whatever it was, I was like, fuck. So I even let go of my rifle and it was, you know, slung to my kit and I grabbed him by that, by the vest. Yeah. So now I'm holding a suicide vest. Jesus, bro. <laughs> and 
I all, all I can think about is just, you know, I got to tell the boys the situation. I'm like, bomb, 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 bomb. And so I start pushing him away and I threw him as far as I could. And when he landed, he detonated. Yeah. And so the you know, I think the reason, I mean, you know, it's specu speculation based yeah. upon, there's no f facts, but well, there are facts, but I just don't know those facts. I think he was drugged. I think he was scared. I think when I hit him, he must have been just clinching. Yeah, even tighter. Right? And then finally, when the, the impact of the ground is when he let go, and that's when I saw something come out of his hand. That's the last thing I remember it went, before it went black. And so... What was I, the, rest of your, the rest of the patrol, what was happening at this time? So at that point, some crazy things were happening. One, part of the group was focusing at the... Just because they were focusing towards the motorcycles. Right. I think everyone else that was... My location behind me saw me run towards the yeah. bomber. And I think you kind of like, it just happened so fast. Yeah, everyone's just kind of like, what the fuck's going on? It's like, did you? Crazy part. This is the craziest part of this whole thing. Mingus, the main principle that I'm protecting. That day, like when we left that wire, I was always at the rear of the diamond. Because I always wanted the responsibility to grab him and put him to the ground. Right. Well, that day, just because Everything was just so off, and it felt, you know, spidey senses are kicking in. Yeah. Can't believe that guy left. I went, I, I looked at Ochart, one of my PFCs, and I said, You're taking my spot. I'm going to be at the front now, at this, you know, at the spear of this diamond, because yeah. I want better visibility. And I really want to look at the Afghans, to be honest with you. If you see me go one direction for whatever reason, yeah. you grab the boss and you go the opposite direction. I don't know why I told him that. It's not like I was predicting a suicide bombing. I don't know. I just told him that. It's good instinct. It's just instinct. It's great instinct. It's combat instincts. Right. So when I started going running towards that guy, Ochart grabbed Mingus and Shut started the going fuck and up, bro. And Mingus, no, this is the crazy part. And he grabbed him and started dragging him to the right away from him. Blast happened. The other brigade commander at the time, Colonel Walrath, and he retired as a Major General Walrath. He didn't have someone like Ochar pick him up. Yeah. He, he ended up at the hospital with me. Chewed up, right? From yeah. the blast. So Ochar really technically and factually saved yeah. Mingus's life. He did exactly what he was ordered. He, you know, that that 22-year-old PFC, 21-year-old, you know, fucking yeah. awesome dude, followed the orders. It did exactly what, you know, he was supposed to do. So... It's absolutely fascinating, right, that you have these type of, like, there's so many different stories. And you yeah. had the story about my platoon sergeant, as soon as the blast happens, he cordons the entire area, right, with him and Secor. Yeah. Just to make sure, because we had to do triage. Yeah, there's... We the, lost two? four. Right, four injured, right? And we had 20 plus, like... Injured. Casavac and Medivac out of the country after that, right? Like, it was pretty serious. Yeah. And... Then you have my 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 uh, my medic torn ACL, PCL, MCL, pretty pretty severe TBI. Saving, trying to save lives, triaging, and then save my life by applying a tourniquet and keeping me awake. Right? Yeah. You have my terp that's here in Fort Worth, who's all messed up. Right? Helping, following my medic and helping you know treat the wounded. You have C Corps right with 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 uh, with Ochart. You have Mahoney, uh, my RTO followed me. Yeah, he went with you during that. He went that. with me. So he's right next to the blast. Yeah, so when I threw the guy, he tried to go in there and try, you know, trying to help push him down, right? He got so silver star for that. Um, he's chewed up with his arm, right? Yeah. So you have so many cool stories 
Uh, not cool. I mean, I said uh, cool is not the right way. There's so many important stories, right? right. I don't want to say heroic because I hate, I think we use that word hero. We right. overuse it and it, it loses its value um, or meaning. But you have so many stories now of these guys who just did their job to the yeah. best of their abilities against some really difficult odds. Yeah. And that's just a day of work. Yeah. it's it's. <sighs> I've always been fascinated and impressed with the young age of these soldiers who go overseas and do some fucking incredible shit. You know what I mean? Like my... um. When, when when one of my boys, my platoon sergeant uh, and and team leader, were killed, I I was in rear D because of an injury from from Ranger School. They were like twenty five, right? This twenty five year old dude who was the senior platoon like uh, squad leader of the battalion, who had some like six deployments already at twenty fucking five years old, dude. Look at the average twenty five year old nowadays who's never been to combat, who's just a kid like out of college. You couldn't even imagine those guys taking the fight to the enemy and being able to manage a fucking platoon as well as or a squad and being able to, you know, kill or capture fucking high value targets as well as orchestrate the fucking a, a, a raid. Like it's insane what a twenty four year old kid can do. Let me challenge you on that. Yeah, this is this is because we can go into so many different topics. That's why I love the military so much. Yeah. Only organization in the world, the United States military, no other country. In the world, does it the way we do it? You can be white, black, gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. You could have a GED. Yeah. Uh, you could have a master's degree. You could be from France, right. Zimbabwe. You could be from um, Utah, Texas, wherever it is. Uh, you can be rich. You could be poor. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. When we walk into whatever base that we get to start, whatever maps, yeah. right? And then they send you to your basic training, your officer candidate school, or whatever else, your first assignment. They break you down and they re they they redesign you to be part of the team. Yeah. They take all those thoughts, all those weaknesses, all those strengths that you had before, and then they apply them for you to become a soldier, a marine, a coast guardsman, whatever yeah. it is, a SEAL, whatever you want to call yourself, right? It is the only organization where you can have you can be completely different and more likely and at times hate the other person uh, when you're a civilian based upon their ideologies right. or cultures, color, it doesn't cultures, matter. Whatever right. it is, background. And in a short nine weeks, 10 weeks, 13 weeks, couple months, whatever it is, not only can you associate with this person, in essence, live in the same quarters, right? but you come to understand this person to a point where you start to work more effectively with this person to a point where you start to like this person enough that you want to go to fight for him enough that now you trust that they will have your back yeah. when no one's watching enough that you're willing to die for them. That's so, love, love them. Love them. And then, so I always talk about this. Yeah. I went in with hate, hate for Taliban. I mean, for, hate for Al Qaeda. Yeah. Uh, I didn't give a shit about Taliban, to be honest with you. Uh, but, you know, I didn't like him when I got there. But hate for Al Qaeda because they killed my uncle in '96. Yeah. Well, GIA did, and 9/11, right? Mm -hmm. To a, a clear, pure understanding of what true love is: mm -hmm. love of brotherhood and sisterhood. Absolutely. Uh, individuals who are not of my blood, but man, I'm willing to day in, day out, night in, night out, put my life on the line for them. There's, there's something so gorgeous about combat that brings that out in us. 
And it's so hard to explain to someone. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like there's something so gorgeous about it. It's like, it's the duality of combat is like, it is terrible. The shit, the, the, the collateral damage of it, the pain, the suffering that families go through. But there's something so gorgeous for us in that moment that is so powerful that you can't describe it. The only way I can say is I love that man so much. I'll fucking die for him. Yeah. And a person that's just, and that could be a person that in your prior life as a civilian, yeah. as a 25 year old, you just talked about, right. You would never go have a beer with him. Yeah. You're probably like, Nope. <laughs> like, absolutely not. That dude's a weirdo, bro. No, not me. But that's the thing. Like, so when people, you, you know, this, you're yeah. in the same circle that I'm in, man. And, and we have a lot of friends who talk about this. Your former, some of your former friends, right? Like, I mean, not former friends, still friends, but people you used to work with. And the, there's this challenge of like wokeness. Yeah. Weakness. Yeah. Can we stop with this shit? <laughs> Can we stop about, I mean, yeah, it's true. There's like some, you know, people are very sensitive and things, but brother, can, go back to the sixties and seventies. I I, 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 I mean, what are we, what were we then? Right. There was right. a war in Vietnam, but I mean like what, what was the hippie movement? Is that not about peace and, sex and smoking drugs and people <laughs> have feelings and stuff i mean dude, dude it's not like we just and wokeness just showed up the beauty of this country is that you can have people act in a way that you disagree but the thing about our u.s military is i don't care how woke you are when i bring you into my military yeah especially in a time of war where we have to go back to what we need to go back to where people's feelings really don't matter anymore because right. people are dying and there's an expectation. I don't care who you are, and this, as a civilian, that military program will redesign you, yeah, remanufacture you to be what you need to be at that time. And that's that's why I believe in this military. That's why I believe in our country. In the to country, this day. right? That's yeah. that's the crazy. So, you know, because of the book, um, I'm going around doing a bunch of podcasts. Yeah, and I think this is a fascinating topic with you as well because this is interesting. Is that there's a lot of people in United States that despise United States, right? They demonize the United States as being this racist country, this and that. But it's the one country that you're allowed to question everything about it and not get your fucking head cut off. Yeah. It, it's the craziest thing to me because – so the hard thing that's happening right now with this crazy illegal immigration thing is like that illegal immigration, it just – it's a way to circumvent the, the system that's legal, right? And circumventing that system, now you have a massive influx of illegal immigration, that's a problem. A lot of people don't like you have two sides of this argument, right? Yeah. Close the border. Other people say open the border, right? And so, and, and and so in that conversation, you have so many different people. But for me, some of the some of the people who who are immigrants to this country appreciate this country more than right, right, right. That's 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 why the topic. Like, so they appreciate this country more because of what one they had before, but two, the belief of like, man, this country does. Give provide opportunity. Outside of that, it's the people who are almost sitting in a position of, of you know, uh, privilege who can question and hate the country all you want. It's like, yeah, but dude, you've been spoon fed this country your whole life. You've been the lottery ticket of being born here yeah. has made you so so um, absent minded to the reality of what you have. It's tough. It's tough for me. I'd love to hear you speak on like why this country is is this land of opportunity and still that beacon of light that people come to. It is the only country that I know of. Where you can be an immigrant um, and work your butt off and get an opportunity. Keyword, an opportunity. Yeah. Not a guarantee. Yeah. An opportunity to be incredibly successful, more successful than anywhere else in the world. 
you know, we came from France. We live, you know, in, in a pretty ghetto place in France. I'm lucky enough that I was adopted. I was adopted by Larry, you know, my dad. And, you know, he brought us here in the United States and my life immediately just changed right away from the streets of Paris, you know, the ghetto yeah. of Paris and to, you know, suburbia a little bit in town home, right? But what age were you adopted? So when my mom adopted me at birth, yeah. she's my aunt. Yes. Right? But she's my mom. And then Larry officially adopted me when I was 17, officially. But I lived with him since I was, I've li he's, he was in my life since I was four. And then I didn't live with him until I was 12. That yeah. makes sense. He was always, he, he was splitting time between the U.S. and France and stuff, yeah. 11, 12. Um, but yeah, he was, you know, the father figure that I grew up with. Yeah. So I, I call, that's the guy I called dad. And you were saying that your uncle was killed by by yeah so Taliban or Al no GIA uh, so GIA. GIA is the predecessor of Al Qaeda. Um, it's uh, a group that was uh, that came into North Africa to Algeria, where my mom's from. Your mom's from Algeria. Algeria, got it. And they tried to take over. They brought you know radical Islam, Sharia law, mm -hmm. tried to overtook the government, mm -hmm. false elections, whatever you want to call it. And then the army obviously stood up and fought them and beat them eventually but my uncle was killed during a ceasefire to absorb ramadan in 1996 yeah he was shot he was beheaded dismembered put in a box and sent to my grandfather are you kidding me no dude it's it's, it's absolutely ridiculous during the ceasefire of ramadan and and during during the, the first, most the most you know it, religious period yeah like you're supposed to be as pure as you possibly it, it, can exactly like, don't eat and you drink eat during, the day. during the day you, you yep. know, you're, you're pure the whole yeah. time of ramadan there's no there's no sex during the day there's no, nothing. nothing that you is pray. impure yeah. yes all you do is pray yeah and that's when they killed him yeah yeah that's and so and then they send him like my grandfather because my grandfather was at the time i mean his whole life was really well known in algeria he yeah. was a prisoner of war in a french Indochine, so the french vietnam wow and then when he got back to Algeria, he was one of the main catalysts to lead the Algerian independence against the French. Um, and then, so he did that. So he's he's a warrior. You have a long trade. legacy of warriors. Yeah, a lot of warriors in my family. Um, and then he became, and he was a doctor, right? He was a medic, wow. and then he was a doctor uh, for the rest of his life. And so, but he was really well known in his village. He was real, really well known in Oran, uh, you know, really well respected. So they figured we killed his son. And we yeah. send his son back in a box. We we have no, we don't care about any of you. So like, follow us, we'll kill all of you. But of course, terrorism never works. Right. It creates just you know the next generation of you know anti-terrorism sort of uh, you know pills like me. Right. Um, but also goes the other way. Yes. Yeah. Both both ways. Yes. This is why it's a never-ending cycle. Right. Um, and you know, my grandfather, I like to to think he said this. You know, it's never been confirmed, but. He had 11 kids, mm -hmm. you know, actually 13 technically, because after my grandma died, he had a couple more and I think like six, seven boys. He's like, I got, you know, five, six more. Yeah. They'll go fight you. And so that, that whole mindset of, you know, it, it shaped me, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So it, I understood evil at an early age. I also understood what being poor was like. When I came to the United States and I, as a 11, 12 years old, we were in a townhome. I mean, I grew up in a tiny apartment my whole life. Yeah, I I thought, I thought a townhome was a mansion. Yeah, it had two bedrooms. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's, it's massive, not like it three, massive, right? But it had like a living room where it was and, and a big bigger kitchen, and it was pretty cool. Um, and so I thought like, oh man, we're rich now. Where'd you grow up in America? 
So it was in Palatine, Illinois. Cool. Thus all the bears like love yeah. and just disastrous bears. And <laughs> and then we moved to Bethesda, Maryland. So oh, we okay. moved to an apartment in Rockville um, area. And then um, I lived in my first house when I was 16 years old. So I'm 17. So the last couple of years, my high school. And your father, your adopted father, what did he do for a living? So he was, um, he, uh, he worked for Motorola. Oh, cool. And... I don't know what he what else he did because I'm I'm 95 sure and I I got to work in the clandestine sector after the army yeah uh, so I got to, I understand that work pretty well I, I he was had to be associated with it <laughs> right. I, I, he speaks nine languages yeah uh, he traveled all the time he was gone all the time I'm talking minimum six months out of the it's, year it's he was gone typical movie or book you hear about where like yeah my dad's gone all the time he's he's a he's a salesman for uh he's for, a for, salesman for, for Motorola <laughs> selling solar panel technologies right. right. But the stories that I'm trying to get his book written, the problem is that he he is uh, he doesn't want to disclose to this day much. But I found a an ID from uh, the Moroccan gendarmerie at, with his face on it with a different name. And so when I confronted him about that, I said, "Dude, what, you're a salesman. Like, why do you have <laughs> why do you have an ID?" And he, oh. and he said, "He said, well, he's like, look at the name. He's like, look, it's." Larry Groberg for them was just too difficult. So they just figured they'd give me a name. And I looked at him. I said, no, this just makes no sense. What you're... And I was young at the time. Yeah. I said, this doesn't make sense. And then the stories that I heard from him, yeah. from his, some of his friends, uh, he would do, he would deal with the Russians in the 70s with through um, an wow. in, intermediate um, uh, uh, runner. In mm-hmm. essence, they would go to Paris and he'd be at a restaurant and then they have a runner take a message across the street to another restaurant to the Russians and back. Cause you know, we were cold war and things like that. Yeah. He, he, he was really good friends with Ben Laden's father, man. He golfed with him and stuff. A lot of strange it, connections there, right? He was really good friends with the, with the King Morocco. Um, <laughs> he spent a lot of time in Morocco. Uh, he's been in prison in Rwanda. He's, uh, uh for being called a spy. He didn't, he didn't stay in prison long. He was only there for maybe 18 hours. Uh, he's been shot at in Cameroon there's there and then this is the kicker this is the kicker ice there's a picture that came out in antarctica um of a cia base right and it came out a couple years ago it was a story about you know all the places where you know potentially we have some covert operations and things like that i swear on my uncle abdu that location uh that was in in that story is a picture that my dad has um, on his um, in one of his uh, folders. No, I saw that exact picture. And so when I confronted him about that, he's like, "Yes, yes, yes." He's like, "Oh no, I didn't know what they were doing. We did all the solo panels for this, all the all the stuff. That's <laughs> what he see, sold. They, they trusted me. I just and built all the all radios. The, yeah. He's like, I work with all the government. He had a really good contract. Yeah. So he had like you know his so his got some crazy stories. But the thing about him is he he um, just when so he he got divorced with his ex wife. She's actually I met her. Yeah. <laughs> I you know, because my half sisters are you know, their mom. Yeah. She's awesome, yeah. by the way. She, she's really, really cool. So she took half of his money growing up. And yeah. so we didn't grow up with a ton of money. And then he lost majority of his money in uh after the bubble. Um mm. the, the yeah. you know, dot com crash. You yeah. Know, oh seven? Was, no, 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 the two thousand one. Two thousand okay, the, got the, um his financial guy sold and shouldn't have sold. And I don't know what happened, but and so we he he lost like really a lot like his entire retirement mm-hmm. um 
and I, 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 and he was old. He's 80, 85 years old, man. Yeah. So right now, so it's so it's funny because he had a little bit of money, and then he had no money, and you know we sold a house and things like that, and he moved to Carolina somewhere cheaper. But that man meant so much to me, and he taught me a lot about what it is, to, what this country is about. Yeah, and he said to me. He said, this is the country where you're going to come in. It really doesn't matter what your background is. You will have an opportunity to succeed if you work at it. He also said, you have to learn how to fail. And this is what people hear. This is the, here's the key to success, folks, right? Yeah. You can watch all the Instagram <laughs> videos you want and people will tell you one, three, three steps, you know, start an Amazon, you know, whatever, and you'll be rich. The key to success is learning how to fail. The key to success is not being afraid to fail, right? All those people that you see who have made millions of dollars, who are billionaires, whatever yeah. it is, uh, you know, some of them take away the guys that were born into money uh, and gals. They have failed multiple times in their lives. Yeah, they have tried things. They put themselves in uncomfortable positions. They've They've lived in some shitty places at times. They started in their garages. You know, look yeah. at the Bezos. Look at the Gates, right? Look at those folks, right? Those, all those really, you know, they failed. They were told no. Uh, Under Armour, right? Mm -hmm. the, the owner and founder of Under Armour, he, he, he went bankrupt three times as a college kid, right? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, he failed. And his mom invested to give him more money in the third time and was like, let's go. You have a good, you have a good idea. We just got to put it together. Eventually, he started Under Armour. I had this mentality with me, which is, especially when I was younger, I, I'm young. I need to fail. Yeah. If I will, I have time to recover. I have no real money anyway. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. This is my time to fail. And so I, I started with this mentality of, I'm going to work harder than everybody else. I'm going to take chances. Um, I'm going to bet on me. And if I fail, I'm going to learn I know I knew I'll know for a fact that I'll, I'll hate that feeling, but I'm gonna learn where you know what where I, I dropped the ball or what happened, and I'm gonna learn from those situations and those experiences, and I'm gonna make sure that you know if I made a mistake, I never repeat the same mistake, but it's gonna make me smarter, better, stronger, and all that stuff. And so I did that. Yeah. And so people look at me and French didn't speak English. I was 12 years old. Got adopted. You know. Finally, move into a better place. We started getting a little bit of money in our family, so we didn't. You didn't have no no food stamps and stuff that we right. had earlier on. Then he loses his money again. It's like <laughs> what the heck? I go to college. You know, I work thirty hours a week to to pay my rent. Right when I, you know, to make you know to pay to for live, uh, take a loan. Right, mm -hmm. pay it back through the army. But the reality is that I always thought. I never knew where I'd end up, but I always thought to myself, I got to work harder than this person, this person, this person. Yeah. Because I don't want to end up in the, pot, in the spot that my dad was in when he was, you know, 70, 65 yeah. years old. Oh, that's a big fear of mine, dude. It's just, right? So when you say, like, people fail, like, or I, I, I risk a lot. I don't give a shit. I'm like, I know you do. I, I'm yeah. A, yeah. So it's like I was uh, six years, almost seven years as a federal agent, and I left to, to pursue acting. I didn't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? And when we moved here, it was the same thing. I'm like, fuck it. Let's just go and set up shop and I'll find a way. But that's been a big part of like why I've been able to be successful in many different areas because I've been willing to just jump in and say, fuck it, let's go. You know, like uh, sink or swim, here we go. And that's what I've done. 
You know what I mean? And so I think it's, you know, it's hard. I'm going to tell you, this is what I wanted to segue into anyways, this whole conversation is what's hard about that is teaching your kids that. Especially when they grow up with a little bit more than you grew up with. Right. Yeah. In an environment that isn't conducive to teaching that, right? Yeah. In an environment that is, you know, so, so like, just for example, like two days ago, my daughter's, we, we set up a little um, goal and she's working on her soccer and she's trying to kick the ball up to herself and then kick it while it's in the air. And she tried like five times and she goes, you know what? I just suck. I just can't do this. And I was like, dude, you tried it five fucking times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like try that 10,000 times and then say that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, and I'm trying to explain to her like, you guys try everything. And as soon as you're not great at it the first time, you're like, oh, fuck it. I'm just not yeah, good at it. It's not for me. It drives yeah. me fucking nuts, dude. Because I'm like, where does that come from? And it's like, I know they don't get this from me because they see me do all kinds of weird shit. Like, like I want to be a writer. I've fucked this up plenty of times. And now finally wrote a book I'm super proud of. I wrote another book. It's okay. I don't, I'm not proud of it. But this one, I'm pretty proud of. But also I read it and I'm like, I can do more. I can do better. Right. Yeah. And so like I'm in this mindset of always getting better. They're in the mindset like I should be the best. Or if I'm not, then it's not for me. And that fucking blows my mind, dude. And so, like, as a dad and you, as a dad, I'm curious if you're ready for that and, and think about all those things. No, I mean, I'm, I, you, I don't think you can ever be truly ready for it. I think you just have to adapt to the situation that you're facing and instill your the best lessons you possibly can. But it's actually fascinating you're talking about this. I... Uh, I, I'll go on Instagram and a lot of my feeds is motivational you know, you know, stories and stuff. And I guess, you know, it picks up the algorithm, picks up that I'd like to sell. And one of them came yesterday, which was about, and now I have a, tons about kids Yeah, because right? I have an 11 month old, right? tons about kids. And one of them was about you, the most important aspect in raising a child isn't really, and this is, this is crazy isn't really about you as a parent and the environment that you bring inside the house. What's going to influence them more is the culture outside the home. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the neighborhood they grow up in. Yeah. It's going to be the school they go to, the church they go to, whatever religion right. you follow. It's going to be those relationships that they build. And I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And so right now we do live in a world where, uh, yeah, all right, I'm not good enough. Someone's better. Let me go do something else. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy, right? I grew up in in, in France where I spent 80% of my time outside the house with yeah. a bunch of hooligans. Yeah. And we've, we, I, you know, I got in so many fights in my life growing up. Uh, it hardened me uh, for sure. I'm not advocating for kids to get in <laughs> fights. But I mean, I know, like, you talk about that culture, right? Yeah. Um, and... I played, you know, some pretty high level soccer at early age, but there was always someone better than me. Yeah. And instead of wanting to quit, I wanted to work harder than anybody else to find a way to make sure that I got to that level or better. Yeah. And, they, and then I, I didn't do it, obviously. Like, I, you know, with soccer, yeah. it, it just, it didn't happen. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, so I, even my son, who's 14, he's a freshman in high school and he's dealing with like kids are fighting left and right. But he, this whole time, has been in a private school, right? Most of his life is a private school. He comes here, he goes, Dad, I want to try public school. I'm like, all right, cool, dude. And I say, public school in Texas, homie, you better be ready because you're probably going to get in a few fights. And he's like, why? I was like, because you fight when you're in high school in a public world. That's what we did. You know what I mean? You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Like, men, you like a girl, someone gets jealous, fights, whatever, egos, posturing, whatever it is. Yeah. And he's in school now, and, like, girls are fighting, guys are fighting. He's like, there's this big guy. And he said, he said he wants to kick my ass. I was like. Okay, so what are you gonna do? 
He's like, I don't know. I've been shadow boxing every night. <laughs> he says. And I'm like, all right, man. And so we kind of went over like, don't, don't throw a punch unless you have to, right? Kind of thing. But as well as like, you have to realize, you have to make a decision what you're going to do. Because if you back down, you're, you're going to always back down to this dude, right? Or, oh, 100%. Or, and so it's this kind of thing. It's like, dad, I'm like, I, I want to say, go get your ass kicked, son. But show him that you're not, you're willing to fucking get an ass kicking. You know what I mean? Because in my head, it's like, look, if you're scared because he's bigger, you might win. You might not. But it's better to fucking go up there and stand your ground than to just fucking submit. Yeah. Right? And I say that and mom's like, are you sure? I'm really nervous. Yeah. <laughs> Ma don't want her to get hurt, right? But I'm like, I know what this means in our world as men, but as well as uh, it's kind of like the social environment of what you create. When you stand up to someone fighting, it's not only you stood up to him. The whole school knows you're willing to throw down. And you've just changed psychologically the outcome of what everything in the future from that point on because people can be like, yeah, I'm going to fuck with him. He doesn't want to fight. That, that's all you need. And trying to get that through his head is so hard because he doesn't get that. Like, they don't get how powerful just one punch. Willingness to fucking engage will change the outcome of your whole high school because people will be like, yeah, no, he'll fight. Next. You know how bullies are. Oh, man, I tell you what. Um, I had this... Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, and remember, I went through... I came in this country in like six, sixth grade, seventh grade. I didn't speak English. So yeah. they, they, you know, when I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, I, my English was finally getting there, but yeah. it was still wasn't there. So that, that's another element. Easy, and that's I was an easy small. One. Right. Too. That's an easy one for people to pick on. Yeah. But I was a good soccer player. and But I did judo my entire life. Oh, there right? you go. And, and so like I knew how to handle myself, but I had this. I don't know what I did, but I, I tried to talk to this this girl and she 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 Asian girl and then her brother was in a gang. Oh god. Uh, my from my own understanding. And he obviously like and he was a senior and he tried to for like two weeks he he would chase me down and and, and, and not we like kiss his people and try to like threaten me and kill me. And one day I just said, um I said, Well, I'm just gonna take my beating. Yeah. And so I went up to him and I said Look, dude, like, I don't know how I, I'll never get so that. I don't know what your issue is with me. Like, I didn't disrespect your sister or right. anything like that. But if, if you're out here trying to beat my ass, let's just do it. Yeah. And what's crazy about that is that he's, he's just like shooting me away and come to find out. And this is funny because this is a different aspect of it. I built a network. Yeah. I'm in, I'm I'm a I'm a hustler, but I built a network with um, African American kids in, yeah. in my school because I thought I was African American till freshman year of college. <laughs> uh, because you know my mom's North African, yeah. I was like I'm African. So anyway, the one of the kids that used to give me a right to school occasionally, yeah, I told him this, you know, uh, hey dude, like this guy wants to fight uh, fight me for some reason. He said just fight him. He's yeah. like you're loose. He said just as you said yeah. just fight him. And and you'll see he'll never fight with you again. Yeah. And so finally, I encouraged. I was like, I'm just gonna fight him, and I'm gonna give my ass absolutely well. I don't care if I'm national champion in judo as a fucking 11 year old. Like this kid is, you know, he's six feet tall. I'm five one. Yeah. Um, exactly. He's 180 pounds. I'm literally at the time 105 pounds. Right. Like I might just I might reach his nuts and maybe like get lucky. <laughs> but so I was like, I'm. I'm. What happened though is that the kid that gave me a ride. Uh, he he uh he was a pretty rough kid too. He went up to him and said, you touch this kid that I will destroy you and every one of your group. And so they had like this thing. I didn't know about yeah. that. So when I went to like fight this guy by myself, like an idiot, like I didn't understand there was a whole backstory of yeah. these guys that taking care of me already. 
But I remember the feeling I had inside my, which was just, it was overcoming fear. Absolutely. At a young age. And it's hard to do at that age, right? Absolutely. You're 13, 14 years old. Like, it's really hard because you, you, you just, it's just, you don't, like, today, no doubt. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. 13 years old, 14 years old. Yeah. I, you know, that's my whole world, Man. right? At that point, I'm going to get my ass kicked. Everyone's going to make fun of me. I don't really speak this language. Like, you know, and uh, it, whatever. Just deal with it. And I remember walking away from it, not understanding why this guy didn't want to fight me. He never, never talked to him again. No issue, right? Never. It just kind of disappeared. Yeah. You forget about it. But I remember internally feeling like, all right, I got this, right? Now, junior year, some other kid was, was, um, this one, nobody ever fucked with me again in high school. I was walking down the stairs in the stairwell of my school, and there's some kid dropped a full can of Coke to hit my buddy, James. Yeah. And it hit my head. And then it split Jesus. my head. And so I ran, and he, and he said something. I don't remember what he said, but that made me realize who did that. So, you know, you're, you're just minding yeah. your own business. And this, so immediately I look up, and I see this guy, and I sprinted up there, and... Uh, I grabbed him and I just beat the hell out of him and I t and I took his head and I smashed it against one of those like payphones. Yeah, and no, I got almost suspended for that. Um, I should have been suspended for that, but there was sort of like a thought at that point was like, "Fuck, flows crazy." Like, <laughs> just you not you not he's not a big dude, but like yeah. just, there's just kids you don't mess with. Yeah, and that's when I realized I had so much anger in my body. Like I, I, I didn't from my uncle dying. Yeah, just so just, just and all the stuff. I had so much anger. A lot in me. of kids that age do, and they don't even know how to manage it. No, I didn't know when I was younger. So I have a twin sister, and my father was kind of like, if she comes home and someone fucked with her and you didn't do nothing about it, I'm gonna have, <laughs> I'm gonna have that ass. You yeah. know what I mean? So like, I had the fear of God in me that if if I heard so in elementary, it started in elementary. I remember one boy put like a bee in her uh, lunchbox, and she came crying. I'm looking at her crying. I was like, what happened? She goes. David, whatever, put it be. I was like, okay. And I found myself saying, sorry, dude. Boom. And I hit him right in the stomach. Right? Like, you know, when you're little and you get punched in the stomach, good night. Yeah. So the dude's like, done. All the way to like middle school, this kid named Ryan Morgan. Ryan, you remember this. <laughs> but she comes down the stairs and she's crying. I'm like, what happened? said, Ryan Morgan pissed her off for some reason, somehow. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm seeing red because I'm thinking, I'm going home. My dad's going to kick my ass. Fuck this. So I'm looking for him. Where's Ryan? He's at the wall locker. I did the same. I grabbed his face wall, boom, right into the fucking wall locker. He's like, what the fuck? Mouth is bleeding. My sister got mad at me. She goes, Fitz, why would you do this? Like, you just said he fucked with you. I fucked with him. I don't have to deal with that. We're good. You know what I mean? It was just this mess. But by the time we got to high school, everyone knew. Like, yeah. this dude is going to fight for his sister. Well, were you just, like, stocky too? I wasn't no? stocky. I was always a decent-sized kid. One of the skinniest in the world. But I was pretty skinny. By the time I got to my probably my senior year, I started filling out. Yeah. But it wasn't that. I was just, I was like the average size kid. Became a little taller eventually, you know, than the average kid. But uh, I was just, I was an athlete, dude. I got into a couple fights in school, like, where I was just really throwing down with dudes. And it was just like, but I grew up having a fight. My dad taught me how to box, made me box. Yeah. My kids all wrestled, dude. They know, Yeah. they know, like, throw down, dog, if you need to. I wouldn't mess with your daughter, right. man. No. <laughs> bro, my whole thing in raising my kids is when you, when you, when your kids get older, right? When you have more kids or just your one kid, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah we have hopefully you want two. two. Yeah. Good. You'll establish what the policy is as the family, right? And for my family, it's like we defend people that are weaker than us. And it's the same ideologies of us in the military. At my family. Yeah. You just you defend people that are weaker than you. And if you get in a fight for defending your friend because he's getting bullied, I'll never get mad at that shit. I don't yeah. give a fuck. You just know you've been trained to do this your whole fucking life. That means use it, right? Like for my kids, 
use it. You, my son's been wrestling since he was four fucking years old. He competed in the fucking Texas State Championships at four years old. Yeah. He's been wrestling since he was four, bro. Boxing loosely, right, with me, hands and stuff, since he was probably seven. The dude has a good fundamental foundation of what it means to get into a fight if he needs to. The best thing you can do for your kids, in my opinion, if you, you can't, I don't want to do what my dad did to me. My dad made me fight. And he'd like put me in there with my, even my brother and me, we'd be three throw down. And he's like, get inside, get inside. And you're like, bro, that's my fucking, my father's five years older than me. I'm getting my ass kicked every single time. Yeah, fun times. But he created kind of an anxiety to fighting that even when I started competing in the army, I used to compete in the army combatives programs. Like yeah. I'd walk up to the ring thinking, oh my God, Lord, give me a heart attack. Let me die now, please. Cause I didn't want to do it. Anxiety. But I learned how to overcome that anxiety and just show up and like, let's get our ass kicking if we're going to get it, you know? Yeah. My kids don't have that so much, as much as I did, I believe, because they've wrestled. And when you wrestle, it's the closest thing to a one-on-one fight you're going to get. Because you have to. It's you and them, and you're throwing down. The intensity is the same. Yeah. The, the fear is the same. All those thoughts that you have before you get in a fight, you're like, shit, I might get knocked out. You go for it. Same as in wrestling. And so, like, in my house, they all knew. One, defend your sisters. Like, we uphold that belief system, that shivery of, like, it is not dead. Yeah. And you protect the women in our household. But two, your friend is getting his ass kicked. You better jump in and get your ass kicked with him. Yeah, you you, yeah, you yeah. better. Hundred percent. Yeah, and if you, I told my son the other day. So my 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 son got messed with the other day, and he didn't do nothing about it. So we had a long talk, and, and it's cool. If he doesn't want to fight, he doesn't have to fight. But I want to talk to him about like, you need to make sure you control that because there's going to be a day where you need to. You yeah. know what I mean? And so he got picked on at this one school, but he has a little brother with him. His his whole excuse was that I didn't want to get into this fight, and then they they hurt Jarek. I'm like, cool, valid argument. I'm good with that. But next time I'd say, call one of them out and say, hey, me one-on-one, on one, me and you, let's go. That's what I'd ask them to do next. Because then they'd all be like, oh, shit, this guy's down, right? Then they go to the park with their sister, who's 13. She's, she's 13, he's 14, then you got your 10-year-old. They're all going to the park. I said, "Let me. I'm going to tell you something right now, bro. If you don't defend her, I promise you, I will carry your little ass back over there and make you fight somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, dad. I said, bro, because you have to understand that is your sister and we die for our girls. But she might, she might be, she might, she might, she might do it herself. She might do it herself. Yeah. I think to me, it's going to be with Orton. First of all, so going back to your question about, you know, today, the mm-hmm. quitting mindset yeah. and the environment, it is also, it's, it's an environmental prop. Uh, issue right yeah. i think it's just being the influence of external parties and so you, you can only control as much as you can yeah you gotta lead by example to an extent uh i think you've done that with your life and they know that yeah but orden my son one thing that i'm doing right now with my wife is he uh when we work out he's in the room yeah so he we don't just it. put him to sleep and try to work out right we he's he's watching he's playing he's watching he's seen you know he's running around you got to pick yeah. him up put him away sometimes and but I want him to grow up with a understanding that, you know, you got to be physically ready. You got to be disciplined. Um, yeah, it's going to hurt. You're giving him that culture. 100%. So yeah. he's going to be, he's going to go into boxing yeah. uh, for sure. As soon as he starts, you know, he can put on some gloves and, and he's going to go into boxing. We do, we go to uh, 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 the Frisco boxing. Uh, my, why am I blanking on? Um, Is it like total title? Bo- total, okay, title cool. boxing. Title, title boxing. It. Yeah. <laughs> And those are fun. I love those. And we have, you know, there's a couple pro fighters, you know, there who, who, who coach. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. And so, um, and one of them has a kid who's about two months older than Orton. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be sparring partners, well, dog. that's what you were going to talk about that. Say, like, hey, like, in real reality, when, when Orton's about three, four years old, 
like this kid's going to be a boxer no matter what. Mm-hmm. I mean, he might not like go professional boxing, but he's going to grow up in a boxing environment. Yeah. So he's going to be a stud. Yeah. I want Orton to just be in there. Maybe his, you know, maybe he'll be Orton be his punching yeah. bag in the end, but, <laughs> but he's going to grow up there and then he's going to do, I did judo, yeah. right? Who gave, that gave great, me a really good foundation great skill. So he'll, yes. he'll do what is wrestling, judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is everyone is, it's like the cute thing to do now. Yeah. Everyone Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> Um, which is all I love Brazilian it's Jiu-Jitsu. Great, yeah. It's but it's just everyone wants to be, you know, they watch M- MMA and they're like, okay, I'm doing Brazilian <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu. Maybe I'll do that. But um the whole purpose is that I want Orden to grow up understanding what hard work is about, what commitment yeah. is about, what being what integrity is about. Um putting you know, and what do the right thing when no one's watching. Again, yeah. integrity is gonna have to work hard. But just just as you know, like just as you said, when he is facing that bully. Because I don't think he's going to grow up being a big kid when yeah. he is facing that bully that he knows he's got a foundation to defend himself. Yeah. Now, whether or not he's he has the mental uh, fortitude yeah. is something that we have to figure out and work on. Yeah. And I think that's going to be – that's what I had to figure out and work on yeah. when I was I think a kid. Everyone, everyone goes to that. Everyone yeah. has to find it. When I was 13, you know, when I was that kid, yeah. like, I was – you know, I'm half his size. It took me a couple of weeks to be like really – yeah. Get the strength and courage to go get my ass kicked, like because I knew I was walking into an ass kicking. Like yeah. I wasn't doing no ass kicking. Yeah, like I, it was just like, <laughs> all right, yeah. um, it worked out. But in, but that that's the these are really specific examples of what got me to be what I believe got me to be successful in track. It got me yeah. to be successful in the military. Yeah, uh, those experiences as a kid, that foundation that we built, uh, those experiences that you know that you know shaped that foundation allowed me to be more of a warrior yeah. potentially than I probably should have been. But still, you know, it's just it, I, sports is, is a key. I man. think it I is. Just, too. I think so in our house, you have to play a sport of some, of some sort. One of my sons is 10, uh, who is not into the sports. Well, he wasn't, he just told me he wants to try to tackle football game. I was like, yo, motherfucker, what's up? Yeah. But he, um, you know, he wasn't into tackle football. I coached him in football. I coached him in basketball. I coached him in baseball. I coached him in everything I could to try and get him excited about it. Nothing. He didn't take to anything. And now he's in golf. And I'm like, cool. Something. Something that's going to challenge you. Something that's going to put you into a competitive nature. Because I think, li- I think life's competitive. But as well as that's a good sport to have. You know what I mean? 100%. And so he's doing that. He might go. To, but all of them play a sport. They have to. My son the other day. You know, he's going through his growing stuff, and he hasn't been playing much football. He's on the team. He gets a little bit of playing time, and he's, like, discouraged. I said, you're going to finish. Like, you you play the season. When the season's done, I asked the coach Ray, I said, what is that he needs? He goes, he needs to get stronger and faster. Sounds good. He's in a speed. Oh, I got him in speed lessons right now. Every Monday night, he does speed with his sister. and they're, So I'm willing to invest into their sports because I know how valuable it was for me. It kept me out of gangs. It kept me out of trouble, but it taught me competitive nature. It taught me how to lose with grace. Right, that's the one thing people don't know how to do is lose with grace. I lose in baseball, but like, all right, I deserved it. I wasn't good enough. I didn't do good enough. I didn't do my part. You know, and it's so important for to teach our kids that because life is so fucking competitive, dog. That when you don't have a competitive kid and they go to life, they go, life is hard. Yeah, motherfucker, because you're not willing to lose. You're not losing gracefully. You're not losing yeah. and saying, okay, take notes. What I do wrong. You know, I have my older daughter. She's 20. She's a fucking gangster. Accidentally, she was raised in a fucking wrestling match. She was raised in an MMA gym. She was raised, you know, as a fighter. And now she's taking on life like a fucking gangster. And she says, I'm a little too abrasive. Like, it's okay. 
we, you can learn how to fix that. Yeah, but, 100%. But being a female whose willingness to fucking engage with people is valuable as fuck. I think it's the most important thing you can ever... I, I, I'd rather have someone that's a little bit more abrasive, that's a little bit more um, forward, yeah. right? Than someone that's shy and... I agree, and, and dude. It's, it's just... Look at business. So, you know, going back... Actually, just one step back. About this country, right? Because yeah. really we got into this yeah. conversation. We went to kids and stuff. I love it. Well, my dad said, you know, fail, right? Yeah. Learn how to fail. Because this is, no matter what your background is, this is the one country where you're, if you work hard, you're going to get an opportunity. Right. You got to seize it. You can't be scared to go after it. And so I took that to heart. And so I kind of look back at my life. And I, you, when I was 20, zero chance in the world. Not a single chance in the world. I would have told you that, oh, I'd be an executive at Microsoft. Yeah. No way. No one would cross my mind. Because they would that would have been an impossibility. Right. Uh, this country makes impossibility realities. Yeah. Right. It gives you the opportunity to make those 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 dreams real, but also the ones that you don't think you could ever even be associated with because of your background, your, oh, absolutely. your financial background, your cultural background, whatever it is. This country, if you follow the rule book that is non-existent, right? Right. You will have an opportunity to succeed. And Bro, so, my mother picked fruit and cotton. I told it to my daughter, I was like, we're not far removed from that. Yeah. My mother picked fruit and, and, and cotton so they can afford their life lifestyle. And I'm on fucking TV. Yeah. You know, like what a fucking fascinating jump that is. Which I mean, she did. Her job, right, right, which is what you want, and what I I hope people would want is that when I have kids, that they're, they're they do bigger and better yes. things than me, and they live yeah. in bigger and life, and it keeps going forward, and they take care of their families. Yeah. You know, they build the legacy of the family, right? They protect the family, but you know, where I'm at today, I want that kid to be in a better spot. Yeah, I want to be tenfold better. Go. Now, and what I'm gonna have to explain to my son because he's gonna look at me. And probably think it's gonna be a hard one to catch. He's like, you're a Medal of Honor recipient, <laughs> yeah. and you're all that stuff. Like, and I'll say, it's not about what the status is, dude. Right. It's not about a medal. First of all, I'm a recipient of it. I'm a custodian. It's not mine. It's about the impact that mm. you bring to our communities, to our country, but also to our family. So, I'm not asking you to go out there and serve your country and be a war hero, right? Which, it, which, by the way, I do not consider myself right, right. At, at all. I'm asking you to take the opportunities that we're giving you, work hard, appreciate them, and then make something of them yeah. that is bigger and better than you ever potentially thought. And then teach your kids to do the same. Right. Keep step by step. Because what I'm going to explain to them too, I'm going to say six, eight, nine generations from now, mm -hmm. I'm going to be aligned in, in, in the book of Groberg's, you're going to be more important than I was because I'm going to be great, great grandfather, right? Oh, my great, great grandfather was a Medal of Honor recipient, blah, blah, blah. No one's going to give a shit what I actually did. Yeah. They're not even because they're going to, they're going to be proud maybe of their history, but that's not going to impact their lives, right? Mm -hmm. So what's going to impact them is going to be what their mom and dad are doing, yeah. what their grandparents potentially did, right? right. So, like, you have, an, I, no matter what I do in my life, I only have this tiny little window to make the impact that's going to re hopefully is going to be is going to generate 
you know, multi-generational, you know, logic to what we consider winning. Yeah. Right. And so I'm going to have to teach him. Mm-hmm. He's going to teach his kids. And then his kids are going to teach their kids. And eventually I'm out of the picture completely. You know, I'll be in books talking yeah. about like an action. Yeah. But that's it. And that's, someone taught me that. And it really, it really, really impacted me. It said, bro, you and not that I ever considered that. It's like, none of us are immortal. Um, all of us are forgotten at a certain point. Yeah. It's like you might have, you might come up in a, in a history lesson one day. You might day. be in a few books. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. That's about it. But 150 years from now, there's hundreds of thousands of stories. Yeah. Just like yours. You're maybe not as a recipient, but like different and important things. Right. And so you're, you're, we don't exist anymore to the extent. So he said, focus on what you can do today to impact your environment and provide your kids with the, the ability to do the same uh, when the time comes. And I thought, good, because I don't believe in, I don't care about Flo's legacy. I don't. Yeah. I believe in my my na- my family's legacy. Okay. So as a piece, I'm a piece of that. Carson's a piece of that. Orin's a piece of that. You know, my you know my my cousins are a piece of that. And so it grounds you, man. It's yeah. super fascinating. Yeah, I, you know, the whole thing with like TV and all that. Shit, I don't give a fuck about any of it. Like I don't I don't care about fame. I don't care about notoriety. All I want to do is be able to have enough money to spend time with my kids to raise them to hopefully be good people, good acting citizens in America, to be proud of this country and and to invest back into it. But as well as like turn around and come back and, and spend time with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I, I said on that, like the, the John Burt, that, that podcast I did with him was like having a full table on the Thanksgiving dinner is like the best blessing or having all my kids in the same room in the same house. And 100%. like, that's all I want. It's, I want to be able to, I want to be able to raise these kids to a point where they, they still like, like my, my time and, and my, my presence and have enough money for me and my wife to just enjoy that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. I don't give a fuck about the millions. I see guys with like these fancy cars and these fancy, like I could do that. I don't want to. It means it has no value to me. Like the value in my life genuinely is trying to stay healthy enough to enjoy my little ones and to be able to be there for all of them as they go through their life and be able to kind of like, dad, I'm going through a hard time. All right, cool. I've done that. Let's let me help. Let me tell you what I, what I would do. That's, that's, that's the look (laughs) money can buy you the cars. The houses, dimensions, yeah. the experiences, which are cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, some experiences yeah, yeah. are awesome, you know, and and but what the real successful millionaires, right? Yeah. Or wealthy people, they do what you talk about, which is they utilize their money for time yeah. with their family. They utilize their money for gro- general generational growth for their families. Here's an ex- here's a one that's very dear to me, my father in law. My father-in-law went into Express Scripts um, in the 90s. And there was probably, at the time, let's say 50 employees, maybe 80. So he's in the first 100. He went into his job. He left uh, a couple years ago as a chief marketing officer for Express Scripts after they did a $29.1 billion merger with Medco. So he was the top dog executive guy, one of the top dogs. He made, I don't know how much money he has. Right. I just know that he spent a hell of a lot on our wedding. Yeah. Um, so, and a lot more, I was, you know, he loved his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, ain't one about me. Yeah. She got what she wanted. I, I, I was a, you know, a, 
beneficiary hey, of that you one. You made her happy, so that's yeah. all I counted, right? That's that's how that goes. And I look at him and Lisa, his wife, and I am so inspired because I don't know how much money they have. I don't want to give a shit. I know it's it's good enough that they can do whatever they want in life right. for the rest of their life. But he uses his money in a way they use their money stay. They use their money in a way where priority is health and education. Beautiful. So their kids, when they gave them money, it was for um, health and education. So I know that when he, whatever he leaves, they leave for for us and our, our family is going to have with the stipulation of health and education. Yeah, and it should be. And right now, the most important time of the year for for him and Lisa is Thanksgiving. <laughs> no so way. Did, no, it's it's we we're always in St. Louis. There is nothing more important than having a whole family at that dinner table that weekend. Larry cooking, doing his thing. He's damn good. That's and all crazy. of us spend time together. And that is that that is to him. That's the Ferrari, right? Yes. To some other people. To him, that's the G5 jet, right? Yeah. He's got enough money that he could buy himself whatever he wants. Yeah. But he, you know, he's got the the, the Audi that's, you know, $65,000, right? Which is yeah. about the average cost of a car now. Right. Um, They don't, you know, he's got, they've been in the same home for the last they're just, they're 20 com- years. They're comfortable. They're very comfortable, but they use their money for experiences with the family. Yeah. And to take care of their family. They use it for... Our, uh, our our house in Maine, where we spend the summers at. I want to read his book because that's that's what I want. That's that's what I strive for, dude. If like film and television is an is an art form for me to as as a form of expression, and it makes me feel good. I enjoy it. That's that's my passion is being able to do that. It's art, man. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It it makes me feel like alive, right? But if I could find a way to make the kind of money where I don't have to do it, I do it because I continue to enjoy it, but as well as be able to fly everyone in for Thanksgiving and having, bro, that's life for me, dog. And it's life for me. And it's cool that you're seeing that. Yeah, cool that you're saying, like, I don't think my parents created that for me, but as well as they did do that. Like we had, we used to do family reunions like every year. Yeah. And like my parents are the ones who did it. They're like, hey, everyone's coming to our house. We're doing this. And me and my twin sister we just talked on the phone the other day like all right let's start doing it for our family yeah like, we need we need to keep that up because it's it's super valuable and really what my sister said like really stuck when she goes remember our cousins who like would annoy the fuck out of us and we couldn't stand them she, and then she goes but those are the only memories that stick and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. that's the beauty of it is like all the weird shit the annoying shit all the the that's the stuff that sticks it's just, i just i love that i mean that to me is because that's 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 true wealth. Yeah. It's I'm the same mindset as you. Where I mean, look, you know, I'm wearing a Beyond shirt, which by the way, great company. Great I mean, company. Still, I love still Beyond. around, you know, and 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 a hat, right? I mean, I got I got money now. I got plenty of money, yeah. and I, I I I just don't spend it on on what some my friends probably would spend it on because. Those ex- my my experiences watching my dad when I was get up and I got up in the morning. I'll never forget this. This is this is why I'm like I'm super cognizant of how I act in front of my kid. Yeah, I understand like now he won't have memories. Fuck it, you know he right. won't remember being a year old. But I'm gonna be I'm gonna make sure I don't fuck that up when he's five, six, seven. Cause I still remember things when we we're five, six years yeah, old. Yeah. But I will never forget 
in 2000, 2000, only 2001, when I woke up in the morning to go to school, I was a senior and it was 7 a.m. And my dad was drinking on the couch whiskey. Mm, 7 a.m. 7 a.m. And I looked at him and I said, what's up, dude? Like, <laughs> Jesus, like all nighter. And he didn't respond. And this is when he had lost all his money. Right. Like, I mean, half his savings. And looking at him now and what he has, he's had to endure over the last 22 years, right? The lifestyle that they have today versus what they should have today. Right. The things, you know, how I help and right. I have to send money and things like that now, right? right? That that morning, which is an insignificant day in my life, yeah, technically. It, yeah, out of all the mornings, it's just the morning, it, it, that yeah. image has guided me without telling me how or why. It has changed my subconscious to make sure my son never wakes up with me at 7 a.m. drinking whiskey because I just lost half my family wealth overnight because of a mistake that I made of trusting someone else. Right in that case, or maybe whatever the recent mistake is. So, if you ask my wife, I have a spreadsheet that I touch every single night of every dollar that we have, you know. And so I look in the market. And I'm like, okay, this is where we're at today. It's a little psychotic, but I save seventy to eighty percent of my money after taxes and bills, right? And I put it. In, Some in kind of investment, somewhere. real estate, yeah, something, right? mark, market, whatever it is, um, money market, CDs. And I was thinking about this the other day. Nine, the, the majority of that money, I'll never touch it because I have enough money and I have a bucket of money for like our day-to-day expenses yeah. and stuff. So, But I saved. So I live my life with a, a, a quarter I, lo- I judge my the way we operate as a family off a quarter of my money that I make. Damn, that's great. 75% of it is going towards some type of investment. And the goal is I have never to this day, I'm 40 years old, I have never to this day sold a single share of stock that I own to buy something that I needed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. I know friends who've done that. So you want to put a down payment on a house? Yeah, like oh well, yeah, and it's great. It makes sense. And that's what it's for. Yes. Exactly. I've never sold a share of stock to buy something that I needed. Instead, you've just saved the money and bought it. The only time I sell stock is to, um, uh, what is it? What was my financial guy say? To um, not recalibrate or restructure. It's uh, oh fuck, he's risk going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's, it's to make sure that my portfolio is balanced, right? Yeah. So we do this like every year, every two years. He's kind of, he, he, he does that stuff. Yeah. And the goal, I have this new goal. My, I came up with this about two years ago is if I can, if I can live my life without ever selling a share of stock, that means that all that money that I'm making, it's not for me, it's for my family. For your kids, for your family. And yeah. so I'm creating that generational wealth, you know, that's going to dictate the next you know, three, four, five generations. generations. Yeah. And that is a gift. There's no way I would have ever had the opportunity to do this in France. No <laughs> way. Look at the unemployment numbers of this. Yeah. Usually in a 20%. The opera, you know, it's just yeah. very different lifestyle. And so to me, that's just absolutely fascinating, right? How I look at my money. 
Yeah. And you know, and I, I grade myself on like, shit, when the market crashed in 2000 or into 2020, you know, it went down like for a little while, like 20, 30%. Yeah. I do. I, I was hard. I couldn't sleep. And my <laughs> wife looked at me and she said, why are you so frustrated? You're 37 years old, 36 years old. You literally, you know, I've never touched these stocks and we have plenty of money to pay our bills. We're lucky. Like yeah. we're, we're blessed. You're a good place. Live, right. live. And you're just worried about a number that it doesn't impact you right now. She's, and she said, and she's not even financial. She's like, hello, it's going to go back up eventually. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, God, stop having good logic. You know, <laughs> I'm obsessed with this. And that's because of that morning. It changed my life. That I never, I will never be on that. You and my son or grandkids will never see me on that couch with a whiskey at 7 a.m. because of I can't, I don't know how I'm going to pay He's bills. You made a financial mistake, yeah. Or, yeah, and I might make financial mistakes in the future, but sure as hell won't impact the way we live our lives. Yeah. Um, or our future. But so it, it taught me this really grave lesson of be very careful what you, how you project yourself to your kids. Yeah, absolutely. Because what you potentially perceive as a one one bad night, one bad morning, could have a ripple effect in in your kid's life and and really change a part of the foundation. It literally it added a whole new element, chromosome, yeah. whatever, into it. Oh, I know, man. It's crazy. I know. Uh, it, kids, they're it's the scariest journey that any of us will ever take, and it's the journey that has no real hard evidence of this works or this works or this works it is everybody every kid if for some reason you were you had something preoccupied in your mind you might have missed that and you didn't and it's this weird thing that even my daughter goes like dad you said this one time to me and it really affected me i'm like babe i don't even remember saying that and which fucking like damn whatever i said affected her in a way where she still holds on to yeah you know i've had to say sorry i say look i was a drunk that's why i'm sober now like i was a drunk and just like I was very careless about how I said things and didn't think about, I know I thought about impacts, but like, you just don't know what they, what they stick with. You know what I mean? And like, I think I'll forever be like, oh man, I hope I did it good. You know what I mean? We're always going to do that. And you just never know what it is that they're going to hold on to. And it'd be either the motivation or the one thing that breaks them. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I kiss my kid more than I think anyone kisses their kids. That's what, so I think, <laughs> um, I, I'm as present as I can be still need to be better. Th these phones, man, like they're, 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 they're evil because like you, you, you just, you don't even realize it. I'm playing with him and you know, I hear noise and I'm boom back on my phone yeah. and, and I don't know how that's going to impact him or not, but you know, this is the world that we live in to an extent, Yeah. but he's going to grow up knowing there's one thing he'll never, never feel. Um, he's never, he's never going to feel that he wasn't loved. Yeah. And Good. so, and he's, but I feel bad for him too. Like I feel bad that I'm his dad because he's gonna he's gonna grow up working. Like he's uh, my dad put me to work and I was yeah. you know, I came to this country. My kids. Yeah, he's, I know. He's, they go, he's, he's he's gonna see friends. He's gonna look at me and said, "Well, we have enough money to do this." Like when I was like, "Nah, dude, you gotta go earn it." Mm -hmm. Like you just gotta go earn it because that's what I did. I think it's important. I think it's important having those kind of foundations and and to make sure you're holding those. You know, because it's like. I'm not easy on my boys. I'm not hard as I was probably to my oldest, but I'm not as easy as, as people would probably say, because I'm like, no, you're men. You're going to have to endure a lot and I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you. Yeah. You know what I mean? My son wanted to quit football. No, you're going to sit there and you're going to sit on the sidelines and you're going to try and earn a spot. 
And if you don't, it's because we're not working hard enough. And what do we have to do? Work harder. You know what I mean? I'm going to be, I'm, I, I hug them. I love them. I give them all the, the uh, affection that I never had as a, as a, as a son to a father. I did bridge that gap at least. Yeah. But I'm still very hard on the reality of like, here's the facts. Like we got to own our shit. If you're not good enough, that's why you're not playing. No one has anything against you. Yeah. High school, they just want to win and you're not the player that they're picking right now. So what do we need to fucking do? And that's just the hard truth. And I think sometimes my wife's like, oh man, that's a little harsh. Like, is it to tell them the truth? Because I'm the only motherfucker that wants him to be successful in this world. I'm the only guy guaranteed that want him to be better than me. So I'm going to be honest because I think everyone will sugarcoat him his whole life. And I'm like, no, bro, you're not good (laughs) enough. Well, he saw him. My 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 football career lasted two 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 plays. Um, <laughs> I want to play football, and my mom thought that was the dumbest idea in the history of the world. But she let me. Um, and it was a punt return and a kick return, and I realized like this is not. I just <laughs> no, the no. football coach. So yeah, I'm good. I, I went to high school in in Bethesda, Maryland, and next to us, our school, and right next is a, a grocery store called it was it's called Giants, like a Safeway, whatever. And when people, I'll never forget this. I went to the gym. I, I went to work out to lift with yeah. the team. And the coach said to me, I need you. He gave me five bucks. Literally, I'll never get this. He gave me five bucks. He says, I need you to walk to Giant and get as many donuts as you can buy for five bucks <laughs> and come back. So I went to Giant. I came back with like, you know, donuts, glazed donuts. He told me to sit down. He's like, eat the donuts. And he made me eat the donuts. Because you were too small? I was so skinny <laughs> and tiny. And he wanted to fat me up. Look, I appreciate, now in retrospect, I appreciate the thought. Terrible way of doing it. Yeah, like, yeah. Eat donuts, yeah. Doesn't right? Doesn't make sense. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and so when I, that and basketball, uh, both of the, the coaches looked at me and they said, um, love your enthusiasm. In football, you're just tiny and literally you don't even know the rules because yeah. you're just in this country. And I love football and that's my favorite sport. But And then um, basketball, the coach said to me, you you're, you hustle. Like I, I put you on the team just for your hustle. But you literally are scared to shoot the, the basketball. And, you, and the, part of the, the point of this game is to put the ball into the hoop. And for some odd reason, you're against the idea of putting the ball into the hoop. <laughs> I was like, I like to play defense. He's like, that's great. You probably should go run track. <laughs> and so I played soccer, which was my sport, and I ran track. Yeah. And then I, you know, I went to college for track. And so sometimes you got to get the tough lessons. And so your kid, maybe football is not his thing, right? Yeah. Maybe it's something else in the end. But I never quit. Yeah. Right. I, I, <laughs> I was told <laughs> sometimes the three sports, man, baseball, yeah. dude. I love the game. Yeah, I know you're a baseball player and you, you're fucking great. You're a great baseball player, but bro, my dad, my my dad played baseball and he was the opportunity to play for the Cubs back in the day, right? And he, we're a White Sox family. I'm a Cubs fan, but they're a White Sox family. And his dad told him, if you throw one single pitch for the Cubs organization, I want you to renounce your name and go do something else. So he never did. But so my dad like loves baseball, right? Favorite sport yeah. than football. And so when I came to this country, he said, I'm, you know. I know you do judo and soccer. Let me teach you some American sports. So you put me in baseball. I I have never held a bat in my life. <laughs> so when they put me on a, and I did one practice and they put me in a game and we went to a game and they finally like in the seventh inning, sixth inning, they're like, oh, let's put the new kid in there. I didn't speak English, whatever. 
And I didn't know what to do. I stood in that batter's box with this bat, and then this ball's coming at me. It freaked me out. Like, you know, so I'm like ducking. Yeah. And the, they're all mad at me. Finally, like the, the coach comes up to me and the next, like two innings later, he says, I just, when you see the ball come, I want you to lean forward. <laughs> it's okay. So I lean forward. Guess what? I get hit by the ball. So now I'm on base. I didn't have a concept of how to run the bases. So he's like, I need you to steal that base. So when he throws it, you need to go from this base to this base. I was like, sounds good. I didn't realize like, I need to stop there. <laughs> so I run, I steal it. Now I try to go steal this one. And I try to go, by the way, I'm out like going into third. <laughs> I didn't realize I was out. So I'm running and I'm right and I'm celebrating. I thought I scored a run. And then the coach came up to me and my dad at the end, he's like, yeah, yeah, listen, this is not a charity team. That's what he said. And he said, this, this, you, you. and I didn't understand because I didn't speak English at the yeah. time. And my dad's like shaking his head. Like, I understand. Pretty much like, don't, you, you, I'm not allowed to come yeah, back. Yeah, he's, he's just not going to play baseball. <laughs> yeah. I, so, but, you know, my three favorite sports other than soccer are, are you know, it's, it's basketball, yeah. NFL. You and go to a lot of football games. A lot. Yeah, I was just there like, yeah. last night. Well, yesterday at the Cowboys game. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. I love I love it. I, I did five years working with the Jets and Dolphins. Oh, did you? Yeah, on the player development side. Um, just cool. for fun. Yeah. And I love I love professional sports. Just, I like I like watching sports. Yeah. Yeah, it's I maybe watch too much of it, right? <laughs> but you know what? You know, it's fascinating. What happened is that I'm a Bears fan, and we're having a horrible year. I used to be a huge year. Bears fan. I used to be a huge. Well, Bears I'm glad you're not anymore because it's just <laughs> disastrous. And last night. This season, I've finally been able to set real expectations, but not be bothered by by the team. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it used to, used to fuck you up. It used to ruin your day. It, it ruins the day. It ruins the week. It's just like football is actually the hardest sport to watch as a fan because it, it's, it dictates your week. So if your team, let's say your team sucks on Sunday, then Monday, you know, you turn on the news and yeah. you read about it. And then you talk, you just think about this whole week. Yeah. And so just, if they win, it's like that Monday, like, let's yeah. go. Right? I stopped doing that. It's hard. Yeah, I, st- I stopped. I used to be a, like the daughter thing would like daughters, they lose and it, it ruined my fucking night. And I'd be, I'd be a jerk. And I just stopped. I don't know if like, I'm done. It, 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 win or lose, it doesn't pay my bills. So just, I got to stop. I can take your money away if you gamble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't gamble. I don't gamble. But yeah, man, it used to, it used to, it used to hurt. But I stopped doing that. But um, either way, dude. Um, dude, it's a good discussion. Yeah, man, let's do this more often. I'm right here, bro. Anytime. Yeah, no, seriously, really cool. Um, I love to hear your insight with kids because I know you're uh, embarking on that journey now, and you're going to be going through it. And uh, it's kind of fun to to see you know my friends now go through kids when I've I have a 21 year old coming around, and it's cool to watch. And it's cool uh, someone like you raising kids. I'm I'm really excited to be to be a part of that to be able to see that. And hopefully, if you ever need anything about that, you just ask me. And oh, I'll, tell yeah. you, I'll tell you my opinions on it all, uh, and it, they all could be wrong because that's the way this 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 goes. But um, seriously, man, it's cool. I wanted to have you on here. I want to talk about your story, but outside of your story, I want to just talk about life. And uh, you've been a good friend of me. We've been good friends for a while. You've been promote, pushing me on my journey as I am on TV and doing the whole Mayans thing, and it's been cool. That by the way, about your Mayans <laughs> thing, I still can't watch the final episode. <laughs> I can't. I mean, spoiler. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not even gonna. Well, if you haven't seen it at this point, it's on you. Um, but look, I are like 
the story is fascinating. Yeah. I think it's such a well written story, and, and I, you're brilliant in it. And it's great Thank to you. see your 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 progression through all the seasons, and, and, and it's, your character development is awesome. It, it, Easy is such a hard character to disengage from. Yeah, and you don't even know how you feel about him anymore. As the you know, yeah. he's got he got dark. Right? Yes, yes. At first, like I, I thought. He's brilliant. You know, kid's super smart. He's got this fun ideas. character. Great character. Yes. Great character. And then when I think the pivotal moment is when he kills his girlfriend. His own girlfriend. And I think that's when he went from there's no more light side for him. Yeah. And then he went dark, dark, dark. But to see the ending, it was I can't watch it because like I can't I can't I can't even imagine filming that scene. And being able to, you know, to to do this to a brother and and well deserved, by the way, yeah, because he did this to his yeah, brothers, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And you know what's crazy is, um, I think that camera's having issues. I think it's a memory card. No big deal. Is that the one that blinking right now? Yeah, yeah. it's all good. Um, let me just. I'm gonna turn this here. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> I haven't talked about this publicly, so I'll tell you this. When we're rehearsing the scene and I'm holding him. Yeah. You haven't seen it yet, have you? I saw that. Okay. And I stopped. Like, okay. Yeah, so just rehearsing that, we're going through the lines and uh, he got emotional. And then we all got emotional. And it was crazy, bro. It's it's like a platoon that's breaking up for the first time. Yeah. It's like leaving your platoon. We, I've been there for six years with these guys. I've seen their junior high kids go to high school and go to college. Yeah. And I tried to ignore it all because I didn't want to be emotional about it. I just wanted to be like, just do my job and go home. Right. And it's really hard to win that moment. We're all in the same room and we did the rehearsal and we all, we all kind of lost it. And even guys, you never thought we all got emotional Yeah, and we <laughs> hugged it out and it was really cool. Elgin said, all right, that one was for us. All right, let's go. And we had to do it again, right? It was just like fucking magical, dog. Fucking magical, gorgeous. And it's why I'm so drawn to this career field. There's a lot of nuances that remind me of the military brotherhood camaraderie. That we're giving our souls, not in a figuratively of, of like to the devil, I'm saying, but we're, we're opening up our hearts to the world to, to vulnerably give you a part of us during those moments. And it's not easy. Uh, and when it's received well, it just feels really good. And so it's, it's, it's different. No, I think it's just like a, and the reason why, the reason why I'm so drawn to professional sports and sports in general is yeah. because of our time that we spent when I was deployed. And I'll leave you with this, right? Yeah. And just kind of give you a perspective of what, what the impact you, you and, and your comrades in this field are having. When I was deployed, my first tour, we had three computers and one phone. And I was an officer, so I always let my soldiers have the time, you know, to do their things on the computers and yeah. call their families. I, I wasn't married, and I didn't have a girlfriend. It was great. It was, you know, clean, clean slate. <laughs> but I would go there around midnight occasionally just to check my Facebook yeah. and check my email and really get something about my parents, whatever. And – but – Every uh, Monday at midnight, I would. It was my time, right? Yeah. Because I would check NFL scores, mm. and for fifteen minutes, 
I'd be away from combat. I'd be away from, you know, Afghanistan. I was back home on my couch, just reading stories about Chicago Bears losing or winning, whatever, (laughs) Cubs, whoever else, right? And I just, and so when I got to do some player development stuff for the NFL, it was, I told them, you don't understand the impact that you're potentially having on someone that is a complete stranger to you that you'll never meet. But for 15 minutes, you're, you, what you do, how you act on that field, the performance that you put on, that changes someone else's world for 15 minutes potentially. Absolutely. It brings them home. It takes them away from evil and pain. And the same thing yeah. with, uh, with your profession as an actor. I, I mean, if, if, way more powerful, by the way. Um, I was incredibly invested in Sons of Anarchy. And when I heard about Mayans, I was super excited because I saw it like, okay, now we're going to this other mm-hmm. biker group, right, gang? And this is going to be and to tell their story. And then yeah. you were on it. I was like, this is unbelievable. But then I really got invested in the characters and the stories. And so you look forward to that, yeah. right? That is, you, you set time to watch that, right? Mm-hmm. That is part of your daily life now. And it's an important aspect. And then you debate this stuff. And so, um, and by the way, what's his name? Uh, you're, uh, it was the, I always forget his name. Cardenius. Uh, oh, uh, Clayton. He plays Clayton. Uh, Angel. Yeah. 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 He, he now is now in two of my favorite shows, The Unit, right? Oh, no, you're talking about Michael Irby. Yes, Irby. Yes, yeah, Michael yeah, Irby. Yeah, Irby, Irby. He plays yeah. Bishop. Yes, Bishop, 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 Bishop. Um, yeah, he was in the unit, and now he's in this, and he's just awesome in both. I know, right? dude. And the unit is the only, like, the show I watched all the seasons in Afghanistan in 2009, 2010. Yeah. Dude, I wish I knew you. you dude, he was here, but you were out of town. I'm going to bring it back out here. Well, I saw him. You did, uh, he, yeah, you guys the were. Light Diffuse, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I'd love to meet him one day. Yeah, we'll get him out here. Yeah, that's awesome. So... <sighs> Yeah, man, let's do this more, more often. We will. What time I, is down the road? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I appreciate it. you guys. Go check out uh, all of our sponsors. Don't forget. Uh, I'll just get. I'll do this wrap up later. But uh, 